0: The MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things
1: crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Not for the first time in 2022, a crypto project has blown up and left a whole lot of collateral carcasses lying around. It's been called crypto's Lehman Brothers moment, though that phrase has probably been used a little bit too often. I'm talking, of course, about the implosion of FTX, a crypto exchange with about 1 million customers. FTX is officially broken into two main parts. There's FTX, the exchange, and Alameda Research, the trading firm. Both were giants in their respective fields. It was founded by one of the world's youngest billionaires, Sam Bankman-Fried, though his fortune is probably worth considerably less than a billion now. The balance sheet of FTX shows it is loaded with the exchange's own FTT token. Alameda's own balance sheet is made up of a coin that it invented – called FTT and it's not a stable coin or a fiat currency. That makes the Alameda balance sheet somewhat suspect and the crash in the FTT token from $65 earlier this year to around $3 now appears to have been triggered by rival exchange Binance offloading a whole lot of FTT tokens that it was holding what some see as a hostile takeover of one exchange by another. All this evokes memories of the collapse of Terra Luna, Celsius, Voyager, Three Arrows Capital earlier this year. What a year we've had. Let's get into it. We've asked John Avadia, CEO of Exchange OVEX, to come and help us understand what actually went on here. Hi, John. You're no stranger to the MoneyWeb Crypto podcast. But first of all, tell us FTX has a small shareholding in your company, I believe about 8%. And explain that, and do you have any client funds locked up in FTX?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Karen. Correct. FTX is a, sh- a small shareholder of ours. They have about 8%. They've participated in two strategic funding rounds. And previously, up until this week, were absolute titan in the industry, and no one could have seen this coming. I, mean, I for one, was incredibly shocked. We're not impacted. The arrangement we had with them was always no strings attached. They simply bought a little bit of equity and sat in our Cap table. We're in discussion with them to buy that equity back. So I don't. Know, we're excited about the potential of earning more of our business, I guess, if you want to see a silver lining. And the question about customer funds, we have zero customer funds on FTX. We have a small amount of uh, OVEX company funds, so that's uh, our own balance sheet. Less than 5% of our owner's equity uh, is sitting there. However, we have um, begun a process to recall some with uh, deposits made to FTX. Um, and they're looking really promising, so we hope that uh, that we're successful in recalling all of our own money. But yeah, uh, yeah, currently as it sits, it's just a small percent of Ovex uh, company money.
1: Just looking at that in a little bit more detail in a minute, but you've had a few lucky escapes. You previously had Invictus as a shareholder, and Invictus collapsed earlier this year as well. Though it's registered in the British Virgin Islands, Invictus was run out of Cape Town. It appears to have collapsed due to excessive exposure to the failed Terra Luna project, and did you see that coming at all?
0: No, so we didn't see Invictus's uh, blow-up necessarily coming. Invictus and FTX are two completely different scenarios. Um, FTX. Was just an absolute mammoth money printing machine. Invictus was a very small index fund business um, that we were no longer excited to have on the cap table. So, so we wanted uh, Invictus off the cap table. We'd rather have Ovex Equity essentially than than have them on the cap t- table. That was an unfortunate situation when when they blew up and and we didn't see it coming because it's a relatively simple business. Then they simply own. Um, They simply own an index fund. They just have to own the basket. It's quite a difficult thing to mess up, but unfortunately, uh, they did. And then the FTX situation is just completely unimaginable. I mean, we never saw that coming in a million years. This company was making north of $200 million a month. That's profit. Alameda was making billions. I mean, everyone was under the impression these people had well over $10 billion of, of net equity. And it's just astonishing that they managed to mess that up. Yeah, they were producing billions and billions of dollars of, uh, of profits, the two firms together. And yeah, we just have to see exactly what went wrong and what happened, because it just makes very little sense to me at the moment. It does
1: seem to have been triggered by the sale of FTT tokens by Binance. And maybe just for people who don't understand it, explain from your understanding what actually happened there.
0: Yeah, sure. So Binance was the first shareholder in FTX. And for that, they got a sizable amount of the FTT token, so the FTX exchange token, uh, which is a quasi-security. Essentially, every week, FTX will buy back FTT using a portion of FTX revenue. And every week, it seemed as if FTX was buying back sizable amounts, probably 5 to $10 million worth. That means that they were making between like 50 to $200 million a month in profit uh, based on the FTT buybacks. So Binance had a large chunk of FTT token last year. They exited their equity stake in FTX for around $2 billion, which again just shows um, what a strong company FTX was. On Sunday night, the CEO of Binance tweeted that he's selling all the FTX token, FTT tokens because uh, after recent, um the recent report where the Alameda balance sheet was leaked and showed that Alameda essentially holds pretty much uh, 90% of the FTT in existence. Which to me also didn't seem too concerning. I mean, they simply bought back their token, I assumed, with um, their own profits and money. Um, but apparently, what they've done is they bought back their token. They that they didn't buy back their token. They had the token originally when they created it. used it as collateral to borrow money from FTX in order to, I guess, plug a hole when uh, a hole in in funds that they that they needed. And what happened was financing uh, it out caused massive hysteria in the market. It caused the FTT token to drop, but more than that, it caused a bank run on the FTX exchange. So everyone was um, putting their money out. We pulled our money out as well, just out of uh, abundance of caution, because um, we thought there was no chance FTX was insolvent. But at the end of the day, it costs you nothing to take your money out, and being wrong costs you a fortune. So... Pretty much everyone had no reason not to pull their money out. The entire market pulled their money out. It turned out that FTX, in fact, did not have enough money to cover customer withdrawals. And as that happens, that means that everyone starts putting their money out. Every last person who has massive faith in the company now diminishes to zero, to a point where on Tuesday they stopped withdrawals, came out with an announcement that they are no longer solvent and are trying to get a buyout from none other than Binance. That, I thought, was hilarious because there was literally zero chance Binance was ever going to bail them out. Why would they? FTX folding would cause nothing, no negative impact on Binance, simply the clients would just flow to Binance. Why would Binance want to inherit that mess and spend good money for literally no reason? So that was never going to happen. So I'm not sure why they did that. I don't know why they came out with that announcement. That was a horrible strategic move, in my opinion. But yeah, it's come to light that FTX is no longer solvent, although it is said that ftx is in fact solvent but not liquid we have no idea what the truth is i wouldn't just uh, anyone who has money in ftx should do everything they can to get it out and no one should send money there but we are hearing that ftx might be solvent but not liquid they might have things like uh, they have a 300 million dollar property portfolio they have know, a large stake of robinhood stock they have some venture capital investments and some other investments that um may be able to be liquidated in order to cover customer withdrawals so that's, um, that's to be seen.
1: Does that seem to you like a hostile takeover by Binance of FTX? Because if they've collapsed the exchange, have they not taken over the, the customer base? Or stand to take it over?
0: Yeah, I mean, Binance is a massive, massive winner in this whole thing. I think it was definitely a, an attack by Binance on FTX. If Binance was um, truthfully concerned about FTX solvency or concerned about their investment in FTX, they could have very easily offloaded their investment quietly gotten their money out and and been on their way uh if they were worried about the wide the industry the wider industry they could have approached ftx and said look we know what's going on you need to sort out your stuff otherwise we will go public with this they they didn't do any of that their attempt was to cause as much damage as possible which they did they hurt the industry severely Uh, i don't know if we should i don't know if i want to say that actually let's not say that the industry part they hurt the industry but i'll say that they hurt uh, they cause as much damage as possible
1: yeah i mean the the collateral effect of that you know all the coins dropped as a result of that so it is a it is a point which is pretty obvious
0: yeah it is obvious but i mean i guess binance is now the massive monopoly so we're going to be working with binance i guess we're going to have no choice going forward ftx was kind of uh, the horse we were backing, which was, is incredibly sad that um, what happened, and I've no idea how it did happen.
1: Does it not seem to you a little bit strange that they would have so much of their collateral in the form of their own token, which, the, of course, they are minting? There, there does seem to be a, a case to be made that it's, it's just bad fiscal management. If you have all of your collateral in one particular asset, which is dependent upon uh, you know, market sentiment, what, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, there was... Um, Clearly, severe, severe mismanagement at FTX. I have no idea what on earth they were thinking. They were clearly using customer funds, either A, for illiquid investments, so or, or B, highly risky investments that cause them to lose uh, the money. So we're not sure what it is yet. Hopefully, it's simply illiquid investments. But that's, uh, that is a, I guess, unforgivable error on the part of FTX. They thought that they would be fine. They could use the FTX token as collateral if there was ever a bank run. They didn't ever expect a bank run. So they made some some very bad decisions. That's for sure. Hopefully their decisions weren't so bad to cost thousands or tens of thousands of people billions of dollars. Hopefully they simply were so bad to, first of all, destroy FTX, but cause delays in these people getting their money back. But we hope that FTX is able to find some bridging finance um, and bounce back. Um, So, yeah, there's still hope.
1: But you're going to continue with your buyout of the shareholding, the 8% that they own of Ovex?
0: Yes, absolutely. So we want to just have complete certainty. We'd like to kind of close it out. If they happen to bounce back and they want to work together in the future, we would look at that. Certainly with um, extreme, extreme, extreme caution. But we'll also be speaking to other players in the industry um, as we have to.
1: It does seem like 2022 was the year of train wrecks for cryptos. I mean, let's list out the big ones. You had Terra Luna collapsing, Celsius, Voyager, Three Arrows Capital, now FTX. Many people are understandably seeing something rotten in the crypto world. How do we settle this down, in your opinion? What's your take on this?
0: Absolutely. I mean, when this came out, to be honest, my confidence in the industry was at an all-time low. I could not believe that something like this was possible. FTX was the best actor in the industry. They were the industry's golden boy the most regulated compliant uh, over collateralized they were everything you wanted um in in an exchange and in, a, in a crypto business and they turned out to be the most rotten of them all to to the extent where rumored there's a 10 billion dollar hole i mean obviously the other stuff's also terrible the celsius the voyager the the lunar but the other stuff is is a, a microcosm of of what happened but this really does encapsulate a lot am i um confidence in the industry certainly has taken a massive massive knock i would say i think two things are needed one regulation which looks like it's coming along nicely however a lot of the regulation is geared to it's kind of missing the point it's geared towards uh, regulation often seems like it was just picked at random kyc that's great it's good to have it's not going to prevent this it's not going to prevent too much i mean it's important but it's not um it's not the be all and end all company like ftx could exist in the, uh, under a lot of regulated um, regimes that have been proposed. So I think that a lot of the regulation needs to be very specific and very targeted at what they, they want to achieve, which is first and foremost, protection of customer funds, and second of all, the um, AML KYC regimes. Then the next thing, and probably the most important thing, is, ironically, this events like this show the need of going deeper into crypto. More into DeFi and um, being your own custodian, holding your own funds, decentralized exchanges, being able to see without a doubt if, whether an exchange is solvent or not because it's all unchained. Um, doing trades through a decentralized exchange where you never give your coins to the, to the exchange. You simply swap them from one, one asset to, to the other. I think that is a very, very important part and hopefully will become a, a driving force to the safety and security of the crypto industry platforms like Uniswap, Curve Finance, which is a decentralized exchange, Uniswap, a decentralized exchange, those exchanges simply cannot go bankrupt. You can be what's called the liquidity provider, where you take a very known risk. You can see your money, you can understand your risk, you can see the code that protects your money, and you can assess your risk. As a user, someone coming to swap one asset to another, you are never at risk. And I think those types of solutions really the, this, these, types of, uh, th- these types of events really um, highlight the need for those types of solutions. So hopefully, I think we see a lot more of that and responsible regulation coming out. This has certainly set the crypto industry back a massive amount.
1: I mean, one of the things that regulation is not covering, of course, is the need for proof of reserve audits. Uh, I mean, if, if you're a centralized exchange, if you're an FTX and you, know, you had a proof of reserve audits, maybe they did. I'm not sure. But would that help to cure some of the problems that we're seeing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the regulation will require segregated customer funds, which is super important, and as it is in the traditional finance space. And with uh, segregated accounts, proof of reserves is is by default, right? If a client has 10 Bitcoin, it needs to be held in their account with 10 Bitcoin. That can be viewed and verified. Um, I think that's super important. I think it's an absolute necessity going forward. It's something that um, we've looked at and uh, relatively far along at implementing for large institutional clients. Um, And I think that would make a big difference,
1: absolutely. MoneyWeb readers will know OVEX is a company that started out offering crypto arbitrage. In fact, I think you almost invented the space. Uh, You were way ahead of others in terms of professionalizing that service. Then you got out of crypto arbitrage to focus on your OTC or over-the-counter desk, which is, I guess, providing a a white-glove crypto service to high-net-worth clients and companies. You've also expanded internationally. So explain to the listeners here, what has been the change that's gone on in Ovex? What kind of a business are you now?
0: Thank you for, for that. Ovex is really a primary. We do two things. We're a prime broker for crypto assets. And we're a crypto asset market maker on illiquid fiat markets, um, like the South African RAND, for example. So that means we make a price for people buying and selling cryptocurrency to the South African RAND. We are by far the biggest. We're probably about 50% of the market in terms of market making um, within South Africa. So that that's already our core business. And uh, Then on top of that, because we have access to all the liquidity, we're also a prime broker, which means we're one venue where you can come, access liquidity on pretty much any exchange if you want to come by bitcoin we can execute we have the systems in place for you to execute at the best price in south africa because we can access liquidity from all local markets plus our own proprietary liquidity additionally we could allow users to access liquidity from any exchange in the world for example a user could um use ovex to execute a trade on let's say ftx before the blow up without having to take the ftx counterparty risk and the reason they would execute on ftx because our system would execute on any exchange that has uh, the best price. So, for example, if Binance had um, the best price, it would execute there. If FCX was the best price, it would execute there using OVEX collateral, and then it would settle directly to the, to the uh, counterparty. So that's our two core businesses. We're focusing a lot on the prime broking business. Um, we're speaking to a lot of institutions in South Africa. Since the um, news from the FSC has come out, there's been a lot of interest in institutions trading cryptocurrency, and we provide the perfect platform for that. It's not um, what you see on our website. What you see on our website, you go to the OVEX website. That is a retail offering. You can onboard then to our OTC desk, which is an early version of the Prime Broking platform, which is mostly execution via chat. But what's going forward and what we're building is this um, institutional-grade product uh, for cryptocurrency execution, both in South Africa, um, crypto-to-crypto and internationally, as well as in different markets such as um, Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Botswana, you name it we providing liquidity in those markets where there's essentially zero liquidity at the moment. But then on top of that, it's also just any cryptocurrency. If someone wants to trade Bitcoin dollar, um, Bitcoin rand, Ethereum, Bitcoin, some random funky crypto like a render, we're providing that access to that. And there's a trading platform for people to access that liquidity from and manage their risk. So that's really where, where we're growing.
1: You've also got quite a few stable coins listed on the exchange, I noticed. Why is that?
0: There is a massive demand for for stable coins and different people choose different stable coins. Some people like USDC, some people like USDT, some people like TUSD. We like to provide access to our clients in any any coin that they that they choose. Stable coins provide a first of all um, a hedge against local um, politics or currency or as it is without having to take the cryptocurrency or volatility. That's one one very big thing. And then across Africa, outside of South Africa, but across Africa between countries like Tanzania, Uganda, and others, there's a massive demand for the ability to do cross-border settlement, where stablecoins fit the need perfectly. For example, sending a wire, a swift wire, from Tanzania to, well, let's uh, do the reverse, rather, let's say from um, uh, the United Kingdom to Tanzania, can take weeks, your um, wire is likely to fail and is likely to get stopped. For compliance reasons, because Africa is seen as a high risk jurisdiction. This results in one, sending money to Africa takes takes weeks. Two, often it bounces and there's a massive loss of funds because you took the currency risk, you bought local currency in, cost you 2%. The payment failed, got returned to you in the UK, cost you 2% now to get out, leaving you with a 4% loss just for trying to make a wire and many other issues. So we're seeing stable coins being adopted across Africa very, 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 very rapidly. And there's an incredible demand for them. Um, Because with a stablecoin, you simply want to send money from the UK to Tanzania, it's a matter of two minutes, the money's in, the transaction's done with zero risk, zero settlement. It's the difference between sending a check in the post versus sending an email, or or other, sorry, sending a postcard um, versus sending an email. It's really that big a difference.
1: You mentioned some of these countries that you seem to be operating in Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, places like that. And you can understand the reason why stable coins would be popular. I mean, if you can have a, a facsimile of the dollar, in other words, a Tether or a USDC, and you're a company operating in Kenya or Ghana, that would be very attractive. I mean, the Malawi kwacha, for example, this year has depreciated 26%. It did that almost uh, instantaneously. Uh, that, that was almost by government fiat. So if you're able to hold dollars uh, or a facsimile of the dollar in, in, the, term, in, in, in the way of a stablecoin, you can protect yourself against these, these weird local currencies, right?
0: Correct, yeah. And it's more than that. It's like having um, a cash dollar with superpowers. That is what a, a stablecoin is like. In these countries, you can have cash dollars. First of all, they're expensive to obtain. You have to store them. It's relatively dangerous. And um, you can only use them locally. You can have a dollar bank account. Those are also horrible to use. No online interface. Can't really send them offshore. Very difficult to access your money. The stable coin provides you, um, like I said, it's like a cash dollar with superpowers. You custody it yourself. No one can take it from you. And the beauty of it is you can send it anywhere in the world within seconds, and, that, and that's its superpower.
1: Okay, just talk about the kind of due diligence. It it does concern me, uh, you know, that we're seeing a little bit too much of this uh, weird stuff going on in the crypto space. What kind of due diligence do you do when you meet with uh, FTX, for example, and you obviously did a few years ago, you were impressed they had came with all the best recommendations, they were sizable, you know, what kind of due diligence can you do that would protect you from something like this in the future?
0: Yeah, correct. Um, I met with FTX uh, actually earlier this year. I was in the Bahamas, spent uh, a week at their campus, and they, mm-hmm. honest to God, were the most legitimate shop I've, I've ever seen. They had uh, all like the, the brightest minds. Everyone you speak to was, was really just really impressive. And the fact that this happened is is ridiculous. But But that aside, the due diligence, if you were to look at FTX balance sheet at the time, you would be incredibly impressed. You would see net assets of tens of billions. It's very, very difficult to I guess weed out in this case, in this case. Often it's a bit easier. This case was really, really, really shocking, surprising and and frankly devastating. But it's it's very difficult to to be able to call something like this out. So the only solution is really strong risk management. Even though FTX is a big famous counterparty and we all very happy with them, think that they're the most solvent business in the world. Even at OVEX, our risk management framework would not allow us to have more than a certain amount of funds um, with FTX at any given point in time. Um, and that's the same for a massive bank that's publicly audited and listed like Standard Bank. We know the chance of Standard Bank going bust or zero to none, but we even limit our risk um, to them. But when you're looking at crypto counterparties, unfortunately, you have to have a very, very tight risk management framework um, at this point in time. That really is the best defense at the, at the moment because it, uh, discovering what happened with FTX really would have been close to impossible. The second uh, level of due diligence is regulation. You see um, the clear se- separation of FTX US and FTX International. FTX UX has said to be 100% fine, 100% solvent and operating um, without a hitch. That is because FTX US has very strong um, regulation in the US and any sort of... Uh, I guess malpractice would have been met with um, with yeah, with the full force of the U.S. government. So I think that's another thing to look at. What is the regulation around the exchange? Another example of that is FTX International was based in the Bahamas. Um, they had a license in the Bahamas. The Bahamian license requires that they process all withdrawals to Bahamian residents. So another thing to look at, what license do they have? What is that license? What um, What protections does that license offer you? If one were to do that with FTX, they're now getting their withdrawal. All Bahaman clients are getting their withdrawals processed. Um, that's another thing that you can look at. But other, other than risk management um, and really looking very deeply into the uh, licenses and regulation of, a, of an entity, it's very difficult. Given what we've seen recently, I would say trust no one in the crypto space, unfortunately. It is really crazy. Don't leave your assets with people. Custody your own funds. Don't put it in something like Nexo, which is a lending platform that one that hasn't gone bust yet. Who knows what's going to happen with them? You have BlockFi, who's recently gone bust. The FTX bailed them out. Who knows what's going to happen with them now? I'm sure they toast too. And um, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of contagion. I think tether, the stablecoin, is um, fully backed. I always have thought that, but again, after this happened, you never know. You know nothing. Be very careful.
1: Okay, final question, John. What plans have you got for for 2023? You, you've expanded internationally. You've given us some of the the moves that you've made. What's coming up?
0: Yeah, so for us, we're just heads down building. We've applied for many licenses all around the world. We that's remains our biggest focus is um getting licensed and regulated in any market we can both for crypto and a very large fintech offering um that we have expanding we are building um as i said we're expanding our institutional prime broker um, offering to institutions in south africa and then from that abroad and then um we're rolling out this fintech solution for cross-border payments sometimes using crypto as a rail sometimes not um for for africa so that's a very very exciting thing to. I don't know, $100 billion opportunity. And we're very excited to capture um, a part of that. So that's really the the two main things. It's the institutional offering cryptocurrency products and it's the fintech offering for cross-border payments that we're very focused on building.
1: John Ovadia, Chief Executive Officer of OVEX. Thanks very much for joining us on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, John.
1: Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto
0: Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb
1: app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.